2022 World Cup qualifying has begun for CONCACAF, and nine teams have already seen their dreams of qualification end. A recap of the March International window, our laser focus on a surprise contender to advance, and we review men's Olympic qualifying and more, all ahead on this episode of the World of CONCACAF. All right, welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. My name is Eric Schmitz. I'm Jonathan Sleep. And I'm Donald Wine. And we're here to talk about CONCACAF, and there's a lot going on. Uh, first off, things first, what are we drinking? I'm drinking water. I uh, got vaccinated yesterday for my second shot, so uh, recovering through through that. Um, word Feeling of it? note to feeling it a word of note to all of the caribbean fa's listening we are all vaccinated and we all are ready to travel yeah i am because he needs a couple days yeah, yeah. a couple yeah, days yeah, yeah. well it's like two weeks i'm yeah. one week post vax so i'm like halfway home to be in in the clear i've been home i'm ready to go <laughs> I've, I've been home so if you guys need me to do a scouting trip we're available but i'd like to bring my my two my two co-hosts here with me so we'll wait a couple of weeks, but after that, it's no excuses. We we will bring the party, but we will not bring the Rona. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You can, you can welcome us with open arms. We are uh, we, we are outstanding world citizens. All right. Uh, we are we are also uh, here with a lot to talk about. So let's get to scoreboard watch right away. Uh, men's Olympic qualifying that happened. Um, Donald, it happened, yes. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you start us off? Mexico won Olympic qualifying. Uh, they went through, they were in the same group as the United States, won their three group games, including a 1-0 win over the United States, uh, faced off against Canada, uh, winning 2-0, and then w- beat Honduras on penalties in the final. So uh, they again uh, booked their trip to the Olympics as they look to defend their gold medal. And the other team that is booking their trip to Tokyo this summer is Honduras. They were in a group with Haiti, El Salvador, and Canada. They beat Haiti. They drew El Salvador and drew Canada on the last match day of the group to win the group on goal differential. That set up the match that we all obviously saw against the United States to go to the Olympics, and they performed extremely well. They won 2-1. to one. They lost the final to penalties, uh, on penalties to Mexico, but they are off to the Olympics for the fourth straight time. Uh, the most in CONCACAF at this point. And the big story after this, whether it's fair to Mexico or Honduras, is the fact that there's a team not going to the Olympics, and that's the United States. Personally, I feel like the narrative isn't quite there because Honduras has been going to the Olympics. Like They are good at this level, and the failure isn't necessarily is much to do with the United States not performing in that moment as it is with Honduras knows what they're doing. Honduras cares about this and they put themselves in a position to win. What do you guys feel about this? 
Yeah, I think one of the things that you know we we've had we have talked about is you know the the amount of players that weren't there for the events. Uh, we're kind of at the point where our best U twenty three squad is the full national team. But I think the other thing is, I mean, it, it's a failure in the fact that you and Greg Berhalter said that they wanted to uh, qualify for the Olympics. That was their goal. Um, but I can't remember who it was on Twitter. They put up a comparison between the number of games that the U.S. U23s played in preparation for this, which was two, versus Mexico, who I think had put together. I think they'd played 20 games last year in a COVID year as a U23 team so i mean you can say that you want your your goal is to qualify but clearly these other teams are taking the u23 level more seriously and preparing it was it was a setback it was a failure whatever you want to call it because like you said slate the the priority was there we made it a priority but we didn't execute on that priority we didn't come we didn't buy everyone else into the plan and when it comes to the olympics the Olympics matters to me. It matters to a lot of Americans because for the United States, it's it's the sporting event we spend the most money on. As far as TV dollars, resources, we have a whole Olympic committee that is the strongest organization in sports uh, in America. So we had this priority, but the other nations have exercised that. Like you said, Jonathan, they put, you know, Mexico basically told all of Liga MX, like, yo, we're taking our best. And you guys let them release them. And League MX bought into the plan. Honduras, they're like, we're bringing our best guys. And and they do that every single time. And the local and the domestic leagues, and they create relationships with the teams that their players are on, even in Major League Soccer and USL. And they said, hey, we, we want these guys. We need these guys for qualifying. And we would like to have them. And they bought into the plan. The United States has not done that yet. And it's hard to say, yes, this is a priority when they haven't done what is necessary to act on that priority. And I think that's what needs to change. We, it's something that we talked about four years ago when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. We're talking about it now with the Olympics again because it's the third straight time we haven't done it. But if something's a priority, then you make it a priority and you, and you act on it and you make sure everyone else buys into the plan that you're trying to do and see how it benefits all sides. U.S. soccer hasn't yet done that, and that's where it's an issue. And I think that's something that needs to change. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it. You can call it a priority all you want, but if you don't demonstrate that it's a priority, then it's all talk. And yeah, Mexico had a team. They've had a program. Like Mexico has a U23 program. They have camps throughout the years. They play a lot more games. Like they know what they're doing. This seems more thrown together. Uh, and not taken seriously enough. Like, yes, the U.S. lost to Honduras. The reason they had to play Honduras is because they didn't beat Mexico. And if you're losing to the two teams who are taking it more seriously, more seriously than you, doesn't that show you that you just need to take it more seriously? And it's not necessarily yeah. a talent thing. Yeah, and and the the coaching position can't be a retread guy who's trying to revive his career because like let let's be honest, the roster that was put together, there were better players that were available. It was not a well constructed roster. You you have a guy like Jason Christ who, outside of his stint at RSL, has you know been a failure. Like he failed at NYCFC, he failed at Orlando, and you know didn't get failed to get teams to buy into like even places like Atlanta to get players get teams to buy in releasing their players so i mean i think that yeah it, it's a top down uh 
you know mismanagement of this. Yeah, and they didn't take any pains to exploit the fact that there's an international window. Yeah, you have a really tight roster, but I'm sure there's at least one U23 player out there that was eligible for this team that was better than who you brought. You could have brought in for those games that mattered. You could have got them in there for that game against Mexico. You could have got them in there for that game against Honduras. And it may have made a difference. You didn't it's even just, need to go outside of it. You know, unless you had Jeremy Abobisa, you had Eric Williamson, Gianluca Busio, all guys that weren't even called in. It's not like a, the, the George Bello Miles Robinson situation where Atlanta said, no, these guys can't go. You, you didn't even ask. You didn't even try to bring them. And the teams were willing to release those players that you just mentioned. And Boba say Williamson for the Portland Timbers. Portland Timbers are like, yo, we got our guys. They're ready to go. They want to play. We want them to play. Send, like, call them in. And they didn't do it. So, and really, it was a gamble. You know, Christ gambled on bringing in a lot of defensive-minded midfielders who were going to try and bring the game to a slowing, screeching halt as far as pace because of the heat and the altitude. And that's a gamble. But he, you know, that failed. failed. And yeah. And if it's a gamble, you have to come out and say, hey, this is what I was thinking. It didn't work. I take full responsibility for it. I haven't heard that. Instead, he tried to blame the players for misplaced passes right after. Like, it's CONCACAF. You've been around long enough to know that unexpected things are going to happen. And if you're in a position where you need a goal and all you have are defensive-minded players, you're putting yourself in a bad position. And that mismanagement of the whole process leading up to this, the roster selection and putting yourself in a position where mistake in the back can end before end the process. I mean, there, it's another cycle before you get a chance. And, and the people are the people who are supposed to be taking accountability for this. We haven't heard from them since this happened. I mean, how long has it been since the game? We haven't heard a word about it from U.S. Soccer from Jason Christ, from you know the sporting director Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, whoever is supposed to be taking accountability for this, they may be doing it behind closed doors, but we haven't heard it publicly, and that's what the fans need to hear. I don't want to dwell on this too much. Uh, also, want to touch on Canada had lost to Mexico. Do we have any thoughts on Canada? No, not nope. nothing on the uh, on the the youth team <laughs> of our smaller neighbor to the north. We'll talk about the full the full team when we get into uh, to qualifying. Yeah, Canada had some more important things going on than uh, Olympic qualifying for them. Before we get to that, let's go to the friendlies. The teams that had have already moved on, who are have buys into the third round of CONCACAF qualifying, your top nations, they used this March window for friendlies. We had the U.S. Uh, played Jamaica uh, over in Austria. Costa Rica and Mexico also using that same stadium in Austria to play friendly. Um, Donald, what did you take away from these friendlies? I thought we looked really good against Jamaica. We being the United States and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the talks centered around Sergio Destin as Golasso and it, it was fantastic, but it's gorgeous. But, uh, what else was great from that is that we had guys that were playing their positions. And even if they were having a great game, there were some guys that didn't have great games there were others that were backing them up. There were guys that were doing the dirty work and Sebastian Legette and Eunice Musa. They were, you know, grinding it out against being physical. And really they took that, that physicality that Jamaica usually brings and they accepted that challenge and they, and they succeeded. This is one where you come out and, and after the game, Greg Berhalter was like, I challenge the guys to be more physical against Jamaica because that's what Jamaica brings to the table. 
once they were able to neutralize that, we were a better team by far on the field. And we, sh- we were able to show that our creative guys were able to get out into space and make things happen like Serginho did. And the guys who were grinders put in great shifts in a, in a hockey sense. Like they were able to do the dirty work so that our creative guys could star. That's what we want. And it's great to see that and see that sort of chemistry gelling uh, as we move towards the summer. Yeah. And the one thing I do want to point out is Jamaica had a lot going on. They had some COVID issues, um, some testing issues, getting their team into Austria. Uh, they were missing some of their key guys, um, Andre Blake, uh, Kamara Lawrence, because of a dispute with the Federation. Uh, and they had a large number of first timers. Uh, some of these dual nationals that we've talked about in the past, getting their first caps. Um, Andre Gray, uh, Watford was one of them. We didn't and- see Leon Bailey because of COVID issues, and then we didn't get to see Mikel Antonio either. Yeah, Antonio didn't um, make an appearance, but it seemed like a very in transition Jamaica squad. Like you can tell, you could tell they didn't necessarily get to train together too much, but they did show flashes of being a very dangerous team. And I think that's something to keep an eye on going forward. That counterattack is something we definitely have to make sure we we hone in on when we play them in the fall. And even if we play them in the gold cup, because the one time they had a really good counterattack is when they scored. It was, of course it was a, a brilliant goal from a, a difficult angle that, you know, got past Zach Steffen, but it was the counterattack where they can get out and use their speed and use their athleticism to get down the field. They were able to do that a couple times against us, but we were really good at making sure that that was held at bay. We have to keep doing that against Jamaica in the fall if we're going to beat them. Yeah, and I think I think they had a couple other opportunities that you know, that, to break out on the counter, but just the the passing was a little bit a lot off. And I think a lot of that comes down to just guys not being used to uh, playing with each other because this was a was a very new Jamaica team. No, for sure. And uh, the U.S. followed that up with a victory over Northern Ireland. Anything interesting to take out of that? I mean, I think the most interesting thing is that we see Greg. We saw Greg Berhalter go away from his, you know, favored four three three and try something a little bit different um, with a three back set, with a three back, three center backs and putting a Dest out on the right and, and Robinson on the on the left in the wing back positions. I I don't know if that's something that we're going to see a lot of. Maybe that's uh, you're reserving that for your your Mexico's like at the Azteca. But I mean, I think it was good to see, you know trying something else this is the time to to do that against a northern ireland team that that's that's pretty good so i think that was you know and it's also it's always good to get a win on european soil against even if it's not with fans but at their home stadium that was the first time we beat a european team on european soil since the bobby wood uh magic goals against the netherlands and germany back in 2015 so it's been a while (laughs) it's been a minute uh, but speaking of Mexico, they had two European friendlies as well. They went to Wales and fell one by one zero scoreline to the Welsh, and then they played Costa Rica in Austria, getting a one zero result over Costa Rica on a late goal. Most notably, the debut appearance of Efra Alvarez for Mexico. Did either of you guys get to catch that game? 
I caught a little bit of it, but just even looking at the rosters of of both of these teams of, of Costa Rica and Mexico, one thing to keep in mind this is the pre this was the preview of the uh, Nations League semifinal because these two teams will face off against each other. But I think probably the the biggest thing for on the Mexico side is the fact that they're going to struggle if Raul Jimenez is not able to come and slot in. Uh, they're going to struggle. They played uh, Pizarro as a false nine uh, in the middle. And it was it, it was just disjointed. I mean, when you have two guys like Lozano and Tecatito out on the wings, you really need that focal point, and, and Pizarro's just not able to offer that. And then, you know, on the Costa Rica side, looking at the lineup, it's it's a very old team. Some of their younger guys um, that should be playing a, a bigger port part of this Costa Rica team, like, uh, like a Randall Leal, was with the Olympic team. But, I mean, if you look at that roster, you're looking at Oviedo, Cruz, Ruiz, Joel Campbell, Venegas, Kaylor Navas. Guys it's, have been it's, around. It, it's guys that have been around for uh, several uh, cycles. Uh, so it's just with Costa Rica going into you know both Nations League and the octagonal, they're gonna have to get some some fresh faces in there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Costa Rica situation that we discussed on the last show about the mutiny uh, to put into one word because Kaylor Navas is the heart and soul of that team. As far as from a defensive standpoint, he's one of the best goalkeepers on this planet. And if he cannot go, or he is told that he is no longer welcome on the Costa Rican national team, that is a really big blow to their chances to make the world cup. Yeah. And for on going back to Mexico, that's 180 minutes that they played. It took until the 89th minute of that second game for them to get a goal. So they're not coming out of that with a lot of confidence. That Herving Lozano goal that got them the win over Costa Rica. Like even talking about how Costa Rica, like it's an old team. Like Mexico thinks they're the class of CONCACAF and they weren't necessarily convincing in these two friendlies. I feel like as far as having like the mojo coming out of this window heading into the Nations League, I think the U.S. has to be the most confident going forward. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would say that them and Honduras both probably are the two teams that come in come into this. Um, I mean, Honduras didn't have any friend, but like they just come in with having qualified for the Olympics. They'll come in with a with a lot of uh, mojo and a lot of momentum. Yeah, I think, and especially for the United States, they're still trying to get their player pulled together. It's going to be uh, interesting to see who comes and goes and forms that twenty three. We'll get a better sense of who that twenty three is for the Nations League finals because that is how. Greg Burhalter is trying to organize this is bring his best team for that uh, competition and then have other guys in the player pool available for the gold cup and rest his best guys for world cup qualifying. So we'll get a better sense of what that structure is going to be or I guess that depth chart. But I, that's the interesting part is who is making this 23, who's going to be the guys waiting in the wings. Cause we're going to need a lot of guys this fall. Before we get to the nation's league, the clearly the most important competition on the face of the planet. Uh, we do have another important competition to talk about, and that is World Cup qualifying, uh, which for CONCACAF opened up in this March window, the first round of qualifying for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. I don't know about you guys, that weekend of watching all of those games on Paramount Plus was fantastic. I am so, Perfect. so happy that everything was so accessible because I don't know if there's ever been an opportunity to watch games like this 
Well, here's the thing that I appreciated about how, because Paramount Plus, as we remember, just picked up this deal maybe a week ago uh, with the with these slates of qualifiers. And the best part is that CONCACAF staggered a lot of the times so that they were able to, we were able to see all the games. You know, only very rarely did games over a bunch of games overlap. It was really just one or two. And it may have been like the second half of one game and the first half of another. So you're still able to pay attention to both. So they were great in that regard. I think Paramount Plus, where they will need to improve as we get towards work, the, the octagon in the fall is to have some sort of multi-view. If we're able to have a multi-view, that's a game changer because there's going to be a lot of games going on at the same time that people will want to keep track of. That'll be the best way to do it. Kind of like a red zone type thing. Or even just not just like a split screen where I'm able to put on put on three games that the three games that are on um, exactly. And I think I there there was a little I was a little disappointed there was a few games that we did miss that we didn't get to see. Um, and I think actually some of them may have been the most interesting ones. Um, but I, the fact that we're even able to watch any of them, like I have I have a friend that it's from Dominica and he had no idea that they had picked that Paramount had picked up the uh, the qualifiers and. I was talking to him. I was like, you know, you can watch Dominica games. He was like, no way. There, he's like, I never thought I'd be able to watch these games from from here in the states. I'm trying to remember which game it was, but there was a game that wasn't broadcast on Paramount Plus, but the federation or a local broadcaster in the country had a feed on Facebook Watch. It was clearly just somebody in the stands, either holding up their iPad or their phone, and just like streaming on Facebook, like a FIFA World Cup qualifier. It reminded it was, me so much of Open Cup, and and that is why I loved it. It 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 actually reminded me of the X Games, like the replay of the X Games when a dude nails a trick on the half pipe and is from the vantage point of the other skaters that are off to the side. It it was it felt like that. All right, so we'll go through each group and kind of give you an update as to where everything stands after halfway through round one of qualifying. So in Group A. You've got Antigua and Barbuda on top with four points, tied with El Salvador at four points. Grenada sitting with three. Montserrat at two. And U.S. Virgin Islands with none. Now, since no one's sitting at six, U.S. Virgin Islands technically still alive, but two big games for every team coming up. Who was your big performer disappointment? Jonathan, what was your important performance or disappointment in group a probably i mean i am and i think all of us here are team uh island qualifier so seeing a, an That's island awesome. uh, an island nation of antigua and barbuda being top of the group uh, on four points it is a big big thing i was a little disappointed with uh grenada's performance against el salvador i thought that they had a much better chance of of getting a draw out of that and seeing them only beat the U.S. Virgin Islands by one, I think was a, a little bit of a uh, disappointment. Um, but they're, I mean, they're still alive with three points. Um, and then Antigua's got their two toughest games coming uh, in this next round. Donald? Yeah, for me, of course, I love Antigua and Barbuda. It's one of my favorite uh, sets of islands in the Caribbean. So I'm glad that they are, top of the table for right now by on goal differential uh el salvador is the disappointment because el salvador was supposed to be the class of this division or at least this group they were the seeded team of this group we, we had talked about their expectations for the world cup they have to 
be able to put away teams that are that on paper are not as good as them. And they are the class of this group. But for them to be sitting in second based on goal differential, that's they got to be kicking themselves because that's opportunities lost for them. They're going to have to really come correct in June if they're going to make the second round. Yeah, for me, the big story is Montserrat. Uh, Montserrat, who was technically the four-seeded team, they were coming out of pot four. They're sitting on two points. They got a draw against Antigua and Barbuda, 2-2. Antigua was the two-seed. And then the one-seed, El Salvador, on an 89th-minute goal by Lyle Taylor, uh, Montserrat gets a point off the number one seed of all of this first round of qualifying. Like El Salvador was the top team coming out. And Montserrat, the only teams they got to play in June, Grenada, U.S. Virgin Islands. It's going to take some help, but they got a good look at if they take care of business, they got a good look at moving on to the second round. Um, yeah, I mean, that. yeah, looking at that, it's not outside of the realm of possibility for them to have uh, to, to pick up six points in these next two games and then be able be potentially able to uh, host World of CONCACAF um, when the U.S. goes down there. <laughs> well, I mean, that second round home and home, the two-leg playoff, uh, that's still a big hurdle for them. But you cross that bridge when you come to it. You got to get get past this first round and Montserrat for being the, in the position they are. I mean, going back even just a few years ago, they were one of the worst ranked teams in in the world and worst ranked teams in CONCACAF, worst ranked teams in the world. And they are in a position to potentially advance after two games, which is a great step for their program. Uh, So that's group a moving on to group B. Kind of as expected, you got Canada in first uh, with six points. Also sitting on six points, Suriname, uh, Bermuda in third, and two teams eliminated from contention to move on, Aruba and the Cayman Islands, uh, both potential wonderful destinations that we will have to see again in the future. Donald, Canada, they're moving on, right? They beat the brakes off of the Cayman Islands. Let's let's be straight. First, first and foremost, they were scoring goals, getting the ball, putting it back in center circle, and then like going right down and scoring another goal. Uh, poor Cayman Islands. That was that was a, a bad deal for the Caymans in Bradenton. But yeah, they they did what they came to do. They they won handily both games. They did it with ease, and they showed that they are the class of really one of the class teams of this entire competition thus far. At least these teams that are competing to be a part of the octagon they want to get to the octagon they were able to bring over uh, alfonso davies and like i said the only way they weren't going to get out of this group is if he was banned from ever showing his face in a, in a caribbean <laughs> island that hasn't happened and to this point he has uh dominated as has the rest of them yeah and he did he did it without jonathan david as well i mean jonathan david was not released from leo so he he stayed he stayed over there but and i think we talked about this with john arnold on the last podcast but you know, circling that June 8th game, Canada versus Suriname, uh, that's that's more than likely going to uh, decide the group. Mr. Uh, Johnson getting his first start and then following up with his first goal um, and assist uh, in the game against the Cayman Islands. Yeah, you brought up Suriname, and I think that's my story out of Group B, is Suriname just took care of business. They got a 3-0 win over the Cayman Islands. They got a 6-0 win over Aruba. Like, obviously, those are two teams they expect to beat, but you beat, 
you beat the teams on your schedule. So going into June, they've got Bermuda and then that showdown with Canada. You know, you go beat the brakes off Bermuda and you go into that game against Canada and maybe you can eke out a result. I don't know if the goal differential is in their favor or will be in their favor enough to be able to survive anything less than needing a win. But Suriname's still there. Well, the second biggest uh, match in this group is Suriname versus Bermuda, that first match window in June, because the winner of that has a chance to get out of the group in, in advance by, you know, doing, because here's the thing, if Bermuda beats Suriname and Suriname goes on to ink a win past, uh, past the, uh, past Canada, they can do it. Bermuda will have a chance to just rail off a bunch of goals and then they can take care of business and, and, get to the next round so this is still pretty open but canada is showing that they are leaps and bounds above everyone else is going to take a monumental effort to beat them uh moving on to group c uh we've got curacao leading the group at six points kind of as expected uh with guatemala both of them got the wins that they expected to get uh our beloved vincey heat sitting uh three points still in survival mode and then cuba and the british virgin islands uh planning for 2026 uh, as they both took two losses and are eliminated from contention. Uh, for me, this group went very chalk. Uh, do you guys have anything that came to mind, Jonathan? No, I mean, nothing really that came to mind. It, the games went about how we thought they were they were going to go. So, I mean, there wasn't really anything that I that I thought was a, was a surprise there. I think the only... I won't say a surprise, but the only question mark that I had entering these sets of games was how Cuba was going to perform. We've seen them perform very well in the past. We've seen them be one of the minnows of CONCACAF in others. They didn't really play like a minnow, but they just didn't play well enough to win either of those games. Yeah. Cuba, obviously, they don't, they don't get a result out of either of those, but Guatemala and Curacao, the two top teams in the group, like those are only one goal defeats. Uh, they did get a goal against Curacao. Like that was a tie game for a good portion of the first half. And they were just not able to come back and get a result in that. But if you're Cuba and you play those two teams and you're sitting on a minus two goal differential, you know what? It's been, it's been worse. You've done a lot worse and uh, you might be eliminated now, but you at least feel good. You'll get two winnable games coming up in June that you can kind of build some confidence going forward, going towards your next nation's league, going towards gold cup in the future and things like that. So that is group C uh, group D up top. We've got the Dominican Republic uh, sitting on six points and a plus seven goal difference. Panama also on six points, but only a plus two goal difference. Uh, Barbados still alive with three points and eliminated our Dominica and Anguilla, uh, friends of the podcast, Anguilla. With let's just talk first about Anguilla. Those uniforms, absolute fire. Yeah, that was that was gonna be my story of the, uh, <laughs> of the round. Was uh, it was the story? Was, was gonna be the Anguilla jerseys, um, just looking absolutely fire. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah, we we had to we had to give set aside a moment um, for for those jerseys. Uh, they do have some stiff competition, though, with those Montserrat joints. For sure. They do. 
But here's the thing. Anguilla can live on their, their jerseys at least can live on if they just send us some. Uh, and <laughs> hopefully if uh, our friends the stimulus, the podcast out there up. listening, stimulus, stimulus. They will uh they'll take care of us and, and and make sure that we get hooked up by the next time the qualifiers were on. So they'll have three more fans rocking at least in in wherever we end up being uh for a nations league. But I do think when it when it comes to this group, like I didn't really get a lot of answers. Barbados played pretty well, uh, but I think one and one having three points is good for them. Panama, they struggled mightily, but they're still in a great position because they haven't played Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic took care of business, but Panama is still right there. So I can't really say either of these teams are outperforming the other, but it really sets up a nice matchup between those two teams in June. But Panama really has to come correct in June, because if not, they will be going home. Yeah, I mean, they almost they almost dropped points against uh, Dominica. I mean, they only went ahead through an own goal. Dominica leveled late on the 82nd minute, and it took an 85th minute goal for them to, to go ahead. And I think that it, it's looking like June 8th, that last game, is going to be – because, again, Panama-Dominican Republic, I, those two teams, those are going to be two, like, two tough games, and that's a game against the top team in the group. Yeah, that was my story, is Panama not convincing at all. That Barbados win that they got, that was technically the home uh, fixture. Uh, they played it in both games in Dominican Republic. But – you beat Barbados on 1-0 on an 82nd-minute goal. And then Dominica, you're needing a goal in the 85th minute to get a win there. Just not convincing at all going forward. And they got to be a little concerned about their chances to move on in this uh, just based on those performances. But, yeah, the other thing is I do want to just shout out Anguilla. They almost got a result. Barbados, they hung real tough. Uh, they lost 1-0 to Barbados on an 81st-minute goal by Emil Samovici of the Bajan Tridents. I mean, 10 minutes away from getting the first result in almost two decades. They held their own uh, as much as you could ask for. And, um, yeah, Stimulus, if you can get me a pair of those shorts, the teal ones, be, I'd be okay with that. I'll DM me for a uh, mailing address. I'll, I'll take some of that fire. All right, so that is Group D. In Group E, uh, the big story going in was St. Lucia withdrawing at the last minute and not necessarily communicating to their players that they were withdrawing. Uh, really odd situation there, which kind of takes what happened in this window a little different from the other groups uh, as not every team got two games in. Uh, Turks and Caicos eliminated already. They took two losses. And the other three teams in the group, Nicaragua, Belize, and Haiti, all sitting on three points. Belize played two games. Uh, they lost to Haiti and beat the Turks. Um, but Nicaragua and Haiti, they each only had the one game and got three points. Um, do we, Is there anything we can take out of this, knowing that not every team played two games? No, Not really. I mean, I think it, 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 we're going to, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but, but June 8th is <laughs> Haiti versus Nicaragua. And I think that that's going to decide, decide the group there. Yeah. If you haven't picked up the pattern, uh, the way the schedule is formulated, is that everyone from pot one, which is the top six teams, plays everyone from pot two, which was the next six teams on that last fixture. 
So they kind of set it up. So the most likely scenario of teams still being alive and making that game worthwhile, like it was set up so that June 8th date mattered. Right. And with this, like because of St. Lucia dropping out and withdrawing, it's hard to really dictate what, how this is going to go. Of course, you know, Nicaragua and the thing about Nicaragua is they still have, we, we can now say they have a game in hand uh, as does Haiti over Belize. So really that is going to come down to that January 8th matchup. Yeah. And it's going to be a matter of goal difference. Like how badly can you beat up on the Turks? Um, exactly. Cause if that final game ends up being a draw, that goal difference is going to be the one that be the thing that pushes someone through. Um, so that is group E. And finally, Group F. Uh, we've got St. Kitts and Nevis sitting at six points, Trinidad and Tobago at four points, Guyana at three points, Puerto Rico at one point, and Bahamas eliminated after two losses and zero points. Uh, Jonathan, big story's got to be Trinidad and Tobago, right? Yeah, I think for me, Trinidad and Tobago, especially that loot drawing against Puerto Rico, that's a game we didn't get to see. Um, but the fact that Puerto Rico is able to steal a draw late uh, puts Trinidad in a position where they have uh, they have a lot of ground to make up. They they also they end their their uh, campaign against St. Kitts and Nevis, and so I mean that's gonna it's gonna come down to probably those two teams as long as uh, St. Kitts is able to take care of business against Guyana. I think for me the story is St. Kitts and Nevis because in a group that has Trinidad and Tobago and Guyana both of whom have made the Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying in previous years and most recently, St. Kitts and Nevis is leading the group, and they're doing it by playing very well and taking care of business against the teams that they need to take care of. So I, I'm right here saying St. Kitts and Nevis, they're, they're trying, to make a, you know, trying to make a statement here that they've improved considerably, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in June because uh, that first match against Guyana for them on June 4th is going to be the one that really shows because if they can get that, if they win that game, they're in the next round. So that's a pretty big deal that they could do that uh, and be, I mean, a small island and also just a, a nation who really hasn't done much in the form of World Cup qualifying to be able to advance to the second round would be a really, really big achievement for them. Donald, it's funny you bring up St. Kitts and Nevis because their performance is what made compelled us to decide on selecting Lem for our CONCACAF laser focus. So after this break, uh, we are going to take you to St. Kitts and Nevis and tell you more about this country that may be moving on in World Cup qualifying. We'll be right back. This week's CONCACAF laser focus is St. Kitts and Nevis. Have we been to St. Kitts and Nevis? I have. Oh, we got one. We got one. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've done countries that we haven't been to, but Donald, 
we've got an expert. Uh, we will be going getting back to you on that. Uh, so St. Kitts and Nevis, officially known as the Federation of St. Christopher and Nevis, and we had this discussion before that is Nevis and not Nevis. So if we're wrong on this, please let us know and correct us. Like add us on Twitter. Um, no, let let Google know. Don't let us know because we we can only take this from Google and YouTube and and all the other sources, Wikipedia <laughs> and all these sources. In the end, we got to trust what the experts are telling us. So yeah. if we're wrong, go to the expert first and then tell us that we're wrong. Yeah. 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 So either way, we're rolling with Nevis here. Uh, St. Christopher and Nevis, uh, located in the Leeward Islands of the Lesser Antilles. Uh, St. Kitts is the bigger island with smaller island Nevis to the southeast, and they're separated by about two miles across the strait called the Narrows. It's a commonwealth realm, so it's a constitutional monarchy led by Queen Elizabeth II, uh, much like Barbados that we had mentioned in the first episode. Funny, I have to note this. On the Wikipedia entry, it's got Queen Elizabeth's actual full title. It is Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, Queen of St. Christopher and Nevis, and of her other realms and territories, head of the Commonwealth. It's tough to fit on a business card, in my perspective. Uh, but a little bit into the history of the islands. Uh, St. Kitts and Nevis were among the first islands in the Caribbean to be colonized by Europeans. Uh, St. Kitts was home to the first British and French colonies in the Caribbean and has been referred to as the mother colony of the West Indies. The English showed up in 1623. The capital, Basseterre, uh, located on St. Kitts, was founded in 1627 by the French. It's been a really interesting history. Um, so the English and the French showed up pretty early. As with these situations, they happened to massacre the indigenous population after about three years. Uh, in 1626, there was a bloody massacre of all the indigenous peoples. So the French and English had kind of taken over. And then Spain came in and was like, y'all got to go and kicked them out. And then after about 30 more years, uh, Spain's like, yeah, you guys can come back and English, England, you can have it. So after Spain gave it back to England, the French tried fighting to win it back multiple times. And then funny enough, during the American Revolution in the colonies, uh, the French came in and like, was like, yo, they're busy right now. Let's go take this back. And they came in. <laughs> they came in in 1782, took over the islands. And then in the Treaty of Paris in 1783, they gave it back. So with all the colonization in North America, uh, St. Kitts and Nevis had a really interesting uh, role in all that. Fun fact, Alexander Hamilton was born in Nevis. Uh, so Lin-Manuel Miranda, you're welcome. Uh, from, <laughs> from the islands. Uh, in our last episode with Anguilla, we mentioned that they were with St. Kitts and Nevis as like one big nation uh, for a little bit. Anguilla seceded in 1967. And then in 1983, St. Kitts and Nevis uh, declared, got their full independence from Britain, uh, again in 1983. Oddly enough, Nevis, the island, held an independence referendum in 1998 to even split up from St. Kitts. 62% uh, of the vote approved the vote to secede, but they needed two-thirds majority to do it. So they're still one nation. Have we learned that St. Kitts is is the baddies. I mean, we've got we've got both Anguilla and Nevis not liking them. Like, are are they the bad guys? 
I, I think just by default, we have to assume they are. But this long history of all of these colonizers fighting over the island, it's developed this really interesting culture. It's like other Caribbean cultures, it's festive and vibrant. Um, they've got a carnival that runs from mid-December through the new year. Donald, you've been there. What, what did you find interesting about the island? Can you tell us about what you visited? Yeah, so I was able to visit Basseterre once when I was on a cruise with my family. So we pull up, and, and Basseterre is a really nice little town. The port, though, is incredibly picturesque because you see the town, and you see the small buildings, and then behind it looms Mount Liamuiga, which is a pretty view. It's, it's just incredible, So, and it's hard to really describe it. The town itself doesn't have a lot of old, very old buildings because, unfortunately, a lot of them have been destroyed over the years for different reasons, war, fire, hurricanes, earthquakes. But they have been able to restore some of them to close to what they looked like back when they were created. So there's a lot of history in Basseterre. It's one of the oldest cities in the Caribbean. We mainly walked through the main part of downtown to do some shopping and we kind of just walked around and checked everything out. But there's one thing that I wanted to do that we just didn't get enough time to do while we were there, the island of St. Kitts has a train that goes all the way around the island. It's called the St. Kitts Scenic Railway. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but it's basically a, it's, it's a three-hour train ride that takes you all the way around the island so you can check out some of the beauty that the island has to offer. It's 18 miles by train, and then you have 12 miles where you're on like a sightseeing bus. It was built, the, the actual railway was built between 1912 and 1926. It took 14 years to build. And it was originally used to transport sugarcane from the plantations in the middle of, of the island to the factory in Basseterre. So it's, the, it's called the last railway in the West Indies. And now it's a tourist attraction. So you could really get to see some of the island's pristine sites. So I, I want to go back to Basseterre to do that train one day. So it's a beautiful island, really beautiful. People are great. And I'm glad I was able to visit. But definitely, if we're able to get there for a walk of qualifying, train ride absolutely happening <laughs> we're getting on that train uh yeah sugar is going to be a theme uh throughout st kitts and nevis's history um the sugar cane production was one of the reasons why there was so much uh demand for control of the area um but away from sugar uh we talked about the culture a little bit cuisine much like other west indian nations fairly simple seafood meats uh the well-known dish is goat water stew which oddly enough has goat in it sounds delicious but i did want to take a quick sidebar here uh to a segment we like to call that sounds good and in that sounds good we talk about a thing in a country that sounds good whether it be a cuisine or a liquor and in this case ugh, thing that's really close to my heart is rum and rum is the big thing in st kitts and nevis uh they've got a bunch of uh rum producing companies there belmont estate on st kitts clifton estate on nevis and there is a company called brinley gold um this brinley so the one i want to talk about is the st kitts rum company they are based in st kitts and they produce this line of rums called brinley gold and in my research, I discovered that Brinley Gold was available a lot of places. Like, check your local liquor stores. They might have it. So I'm 
a big spiced rum guy. So I wanted to go and pick up a bottle of this Brinley Gold Shipwreck spiced rum. And I go to the store and grab a bottle, looking at it, look at the back label. It says produced and bottled in Rochester, New York. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, come on. Like, you got to be kidding me. So luckily, that was not the only Brinley Gold they had. And I picked up a bottle of Brinley Gold Shipwreck Lime Rum, which is product of the St. Kitts West Indies, produced under license from the St. Kitts Run Company. Like, it's legit enough. So I got this. Although I will say, I will say about a lot of rum companies, and we, we, you know, Eric, when we went to the Cayman Islands, we'll, we'll talk about it more on, on that episode. But the Caymans have one of the best rums in the world called Tortuga. It's only produced in the Caymans except for their spiced rums. Their spiced and flavored rums start produced as normal rum in the Cayman Islands. And then they outsource that to Barbados in Trinidad and Tobago to do the spice part of it. So it's, and it's because I think some of the spices that they want to use are not located on the island. So you'll see some of these that have the spice rum, they outsource it to maybe another island or even yeah, as in your case to the United States because they don't have the spices that they want to make the spice part of the rum. Yeah, well, I'm all about authenticity. So as a Western New Yorker, uh, seeing rum produced in Rochester, like too close to the Genesee, Genesee Brewery for my life. Well, now you know it's local. So now you, if you're like, hey, drink local, drink this rum. Yeah, like I will drink that when we go to St. Kitts. But anyways, I got this uh, shipwreck lime and that's what I'm drinking tonight. And it is delightful. You can see like even the sediment a little bit from the fresh limes that they use. It's fantastic. Uh, I would guess it goes well with Coke, um, doing kind of rum and Coke thing, but even not needing the fresh lime, it's already got the lime in it. Highly recommended. Um, so for this week's That Sounds Good, uh, we go with Brinley Gold Shipwreck Lime Rum. All right. So... That's a little bit about St. Kitts and Nevis uh, as a country. In sports, cricket is big, rugby, and, of course, the soccer. So let's talk about the soccer. Jonathan, tell me about soccer in St. Kitts and Nevis. So the uh, St. Kitts and Nevis Football Association, uh, the SKNFA, was founded in 1932. Um, they achieved their CONCACAF affiliation in 1990 um, and their FIFA affiliation in 1992. So they are one of the countries they can qualify for. They could qualify for both the CONCACAF Gold Cup and the FIFA World Cup. There is a national league. It is the St. Kitts and Nevis uh, National Bank Premier League. There are 10 teams. Uh, there's only one uh, level. I mean, actually, there's two. There's, there's a first division. And they also have a national cup. So there is a um, there is a domestic cup. So much like an FA Cup, US Open Cup. Not going to get into any team names because that'll come into later when we talk real team, fake team. But they they did finish. They did ha- they did finish their 1920 season. So they were one of the few countries that actually didn't have an interruption due to COVID. Or not interruption, but were actually able to play their whole season. That's good. The women's team, the women's program. Donald, tell us about it. So the women's program is very recent, as you probably will hear this theme. 
often when we talk about a lot of the women's national teams in CONCACAF, but they have been around since 2006. They've never qualified for a World Cup or even a Women's Gold Cup or now what is called the CONCACAF Women's Championship. The last time they even played was in CONCACAF Women's Olympic qualifying back in late January, early February of 2020. They were in a group with Canada, Mexico, and Jamaica, and it was a rough go for the Sugar Girls. Yes, they are called the Sugar Girls. They did not score a goal, and they allowed 24 goals in the three matches they played. To date, they have... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happens sometimes. Those, those are the breaks. They've only played 27 matches in their history. Their first match being in 2006. Their all-time record, 13 wins, 12 losses, 2 draws. Biggest wins, they beat Antigua and Barbuda back in October 2019, and they beat Grenada in May 2018, both by 10 nil scores. Their worst defeats, however, basically just the opposite of that. Canada, during Olympic qualifying just last year in 2020, and also Jamaica back in the 2007 Women's World Cup qualifying, both of those were 11-0 defeats. Their only matches have come during World Cup qualifying or Olympic qualifying, so they haven't played much of the team. Still, they are ranked 120th in the FIFA World Rankings. If you think about the fact that they've only played 27 games in their history, the fact that they're ranked, much less ranked, not dead last or, or towards dead last is pretty good. Their highest ranking actually was 92nd back in December 20, 2009, and they've only dipped as far as 144 back in December 2007. So this is another national team that will benefit from playing consistently, which will start to come with the beginning of the CONCACAF Women's Nations League in 2023. Yeah, and the one thing that, uh, even going back to talking about the soccer in St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, I did see a good stat that the population of the island is about 52,000 and about 10% of the island, uh, about 5,000 people actively and regularly play soccer in competitive environments. So it's a strong footballing culture. And when you are at this level, especially with the women's national team, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to be an upper echelon women's program of all those islands when you've got a culture that supports this. Yeah. The participation's there and the interest is there. And like you said, the, the passion is there. They just need more consistency and their, their federation hasn't really done a good job at giving them games. Even, and here's the thing, even we see this pattern amongst a lot of the Caribbean teams, especially it would be interesting to see if they just talk to each other and say, Hey, let's just go to a, create our own tournament. Kind of like, you know, a, lesser she believes like we have in the United States don't go play France's and Germany's just play the other islands and get a group together and see if the Caribbean football union will get together and try and get these ladies more games yeah I think they we've talked about it some but the CONCACAF Women's Nations League is going to do a lot uh, for getting these teams regular games no for sure uh, so talk about the women's national program uh, Jonathan tell us about the men's national program yeah so uh the saint kitts and nevis sh the sugar boys um as as they are boys known. with a z boys with a boys, z. Yeah, uh, boys with a z i will you can always assume and girls and girls is also with a z so they're that's their consistency, consistency. we will let quality. you know quality. if there is not a z just assume <laughs> with a lot of these countries that it's boys or girls with a z um so they're currently ranked 140th uh, in the most recent FIFA rankings. Their highest that they have been 
um, was 73rd in March and of March of 2017, uh, and then their lowest they have been was in um, November of 1994, and they were ranked 176. They biggest defeats um, they beat Montserrat and Saint Martin uh, by 10-0 uh, on two different occasions, uh, and their largest defeat coming uh, an 8-0 loss uh, away to Mexico in 2004. They have not qualified for a Gold Cup or have not qualified for a World Cup. Um, the, we talked about when we talked about the other games, um, they do have a chance to at least make it to the next round um, of World Cup. They have uh, finished second in the Caribbean Cup. So the, their highest finish in the Caribbean Cup was second place in 1997, but they have not qualified for the Caribbean Cup since 2001. Since 2001 was the last time they qualified, so or no, 2018, sorry, but they had they had a large strand where they didn't didn't even qualify for that. Um, one of the things about St. Kitts and Nevis is, you know, Eric touched on it. It's a small nation. It, there's 50,000 people on the island, but one of the things that they have done is they, like a lot of these teams, um, really invest in in finding um, dual nationals uh, and, and trying to find players that are. Uh, potentially available for for selection and so they actually have a a guy that it is his job um he's like the saint kitts and nevis ambassador in england so um and it's the article that i found back in 2018 but they had identified 28 people uh playing in england in the english soccer pyramid that were eligible for um being able to play for saint kitts and nevis like they have a they have one person who that their job is just to research, like basically they're on ancestry.com, like just trying to, like they're like, oh, let's see if this guy is uh, is eligible. Let's see how far we can go back. But um, you know, so they've done a good job of recruiting. So like they have a few people that that play for the likes of like you know Wickham Wanderers, Stockport uh, County, uh, Kidderminster Harriers. I know a, a lot of MLS fans will recognize the, the name Atiba Harris, who is club cat or is the who has captain his country, but I mean they, their squad as of right now is also pretty heavily made up of you know guys playing in the national league. Yeah, I did see that there is one player that they weren't able to get his rights. He didn't chose not to play for the St. Kitts and Nevis, and I really question his decision. Is Marcus Rashford chose to play <laughs> for England over St. Kitts and Nevis? And to be honest, I don't know what he's thinking there. He's gonna regret that decision down the road. I mean. It's just, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's like, do you want like gray, shitty weather or an island nation? <laughs> I mean, you're still got no chance to win a World Cup. So why wouldn't you pick the one with the nice beaches and things like that? Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, you're leaving, man. It's like, oh, I got to go to the international break. Oh, where are you going? Like, oh, I'm going to some, you know, you're like dingy, dark, like, Eastern European country in the middle of the uh, the winter, and then it's like, no, I'm I'm off to the beach. Yeah, we got a game in Albania, and then in Estonia, and <laughs> I'm I'm going to do that instead of going to Barbados. Instead of Barbados and Bermuda. Yeah. So that dual national thing, I really think that that's the way that a lot of these countries are going to accelerate their development is just bringing in more talent. If you can draw talent from all these other countries in the world and bring them into the, especially these small countries in the Caribbean, it's just going to raise the level um, fairly quickly. 
But yeah, so St. Kitts and Nevis, they got a good look at moving on to the second round. And we will be seeing them uh, fight for their lives in June. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And then it looks like it's my turn on the hot seat for a real team or fake team. Uh, So we'll be right back and uh, let's play some games. All right, we are back and it is the most anticipated time of the show. It is time for real team or fake team. So if you haven't heard our podcast before, which if you're listening and this is your first time, thank you for listening. But also there's other episodes for you to listen to as well. So, you know, get us our clicks. But what we're going to do is in looking into all of these countries and their soccer, uh, each country has their own league. Each league has all these teams and some of the names are super interesting. And a lot of times you think they sound made up. So we play this game called real team or fake team where Jonathan and Donald are going to present me with team names. And I have to decide if I think it's a real team or it's a fake team. Like if it was club to foot Montreal, I'd be like, that sounds dumb. It's probably made up. And they would, <laughs> and they would have to tell me, Oh no, that's a real team in Canada. And I'd be like, that sounds dumb. So we're going to play. Uh, I don't know which one of you is leading off. You guys take it away. I am the contestant. All right. I'll, I'll kick us off. So um, one of the things to keep in mind is, so Donald, myself, and John Arnold all have gotten four. So this is Eric's chance to uh, to see if he can best us or uh, just be the odd man out. So Pressure's on. My first team that I have for you is Village Superstars. Is Superstars spelled with a Z? No. I bet that's real. You are correct. So the Village Superstars are actually the current uh, St. Kitts and Nevis Premier Division champions. I uh, have won the league five times. So they're actually superstars. Yeah, actually superstars. Nice. It fits. All right. So the next one is Garden Hotspurs FC. That's that's Garden. Fake. That's fake. No, that is real. What? Uh, they are in. They are also in the Premier League. They have won the league four times. Oh my god! So your next one uh, is Railroad Rockets. That sounds made up. You are correct. It is a made up team. I like the railroad thing. <laughs> so the next one is Sandy Point Town FC. That's real. That is fake. Ah, oh, Sandy Point on. Town is the second largest town on St. Kitts, but they do not have a team named after said town. When you added the FC, I'm like, oh, well, he's got to be fixing it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shit. So I'm I'm at two. You're two, at two. Two for two. Two for four. God, yeah. I guess. God. So so we're coming up. This is my last one. Okay. Um, is St. Michael's Warriors. St. Michael's Warriors. I'm going to go real. That is a fake team. Oh, my God. Ooh. 
<laughs> so you are, not going to, you are not going to... You are not going to... I'm you, just you've over here. Uh, but yeah, uh, Donald's got one more for you. Yeah, I have one more for you. And the last in this real team or fake team is Rivers of Living Water FC. That sounds made up. It is real. That club oh, is named shit. after a Bible verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. They are in the Division 1, which is the second tier on the pyramid. I want to know what their logo looks like. The, we, we actually, uh, before you hopped on, we tried to find that logo. Um, couldn't find it. Um, but I do just want to give a shout out to Newtown United, uh, whose logo is a sailfish with a soccer ball, and the soccer ball has a pyramid in the middle of it. Yeah, and, and, like an Illuminati pyramid, or yes. just like uh, yes, like an oh. Illuminati period. So I, I just want to let you know, I'm just going to go through some of the real teams, okay, that we okay. had to choose from, and you're going to basically be like, we should have picked another country because you really got messed up with some of these. So <laughs> did, did you I heard Village Superstars. I only, you only ended two. up with two. God damn. Yeah. So here we go. Not There's great. Village Superstars, Garden Hot Spurs, Kayon Rockets. Newtown United, St. Paul's United, St. Peter's Strikers, SPD United, Rivers of Living Water FC, Bath United, Combined <laughs> Schools FC, Horsford Highlights FC, commonly known as just Highlights, United Old Road Jets, and Mantab United. So we really, it was pretty hard Man-tab for us to United. Mantab United. So like the real teams sounded so fake that it was good to it was easy for us to pick real teams but it was incredibly difficult for us to come up with fake teams yeah you mentioned one with old road in it what was that it is united old road jets now one fact that i almost brought up in going over the history is that the first european settlement was established by the english at old road town by Thomas Warner, which is not to be confused with Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. I was, that's the thing is I was going to come up with an Old Town Road reference based on what I knew about the country and then saw that there was a team called Old Road Jets. And I was like, I can't do that now. Um, also, if you get a chance, look up St. Paul's United FC. Um, the logo looks like they're trying to sell you a uh, flexible rate mortgage. St. Paul's United FC. Paint kits. I'm googling this live for you it, whenever and honestly listening. it's it looks like it looks like 21st century realtors formed a, a football <laughs> team in st like, that's the exact logo century 21 ass team yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh well i am happy see this is bullshit because i made up this game and now i'm in last place <laughs> in the standings this is no good i'm really gonna have to have a good uh second time on there but um, I guess good job in stumping me. Uh, that was real team or fake team. So before we wrap up, let's hit what's next in CONCACAF. And the big thing coming up is CONCACAF Champions League. So, Donald, tell us about CONCACAF Champions League coming up. Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, it is back this week. We begin with the round of 16, which begins on April 6th and continues on April 7th and 8th. The second legs will be on April 13th, 14th, and 15th. So two weeks, a lot of games. Here are the matchups. Cruz Azul versus Arkeahi, Toronto SC versus Leon, Monterey versus Atletico Pantoya, Columbus Crew from Major League Soccer take on Real Esteli, Philadelphia Union versus Saprissa, 
Atlanta United versus Alajuelense, Club America versus Olympia, and the Portland Timbers take on Marathon. So there's five MLS teams in the round of 16, as I mentioned, Toronto, Philly, Columbus, Atlanta, and Portland. Mexico has four teams. Honduras has two. Costa Rica has two. And one each from Nicaragua, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. So for me, guys, the matchup, you guys may have a different one, but the matchup for me, I think, is the juiciest is Toronto versus Leon because it's Major League Soccer versus Liga MX. Toronto, we've talked about the issues that they've had in just being able to train, and Leon is in midseason, but it's still usually used as a you know testing you know, litmus test on whether MLS has caught up or is on par with Liga MX. But which matchups are you excited to watch, Eric? Uh, for me, it's the Atlanta United Alajuense matchup. Atlanta United made a big stink about keeping guys from the Olympic qualifying because they wanted to prepare for these games. And if they don't advance, then it looks pretty pointless at this stage. Alajuense, like they're there for a reason. Um, MLS teams have not necessarily done a great job, but Alajuense is a team that deserves to be here. And they're going to have to go into Kennesaw State University and get a result against Atlanta United. Just an interesting matchup on my end. Yeah, I think for me, Donald, you talked about the Leon Toronto FC, but I think matchup, and I think one of the other reasons it, it's a bit interesting is, you know, this is, it's the end of Greg Vanny. So Greg Vanny's in LA uh, and Chris Arma. So, I mean, it's a new team, uh, a new coach. Um, but I think also for me, looking at the uh, Saprisa Philadelphia match, so this is Philadelphia's first entry into CONCACAF Champions League. You know, they sold their two best players, Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson. And they're a little banged up right now. I know that they have a few guys that are missing. Their best player has not been able to get into the country uh, because of some COVID restriction stuff. So I think that is one. Uh, we saw how dominant Philly was in the in the regular season. And I think also like, I'm excited to see Columbus. Uh, they won MLS Cup and then just got even better. And so I think that one could be very, very interesting. I, I do think it's interesting because I'm looking at all the matches. Columbus, their home match is going to be held at Historic Crew Stadium, which is apparently the name for Crew Stadium as they're building the new one in Columbus. Uh, Bleachers Stadium. <laughs> they got rid of they got rid of the map free or map yeah. ray or whatever the however they pronounced yeah. it. It it just sounded stupid. But yeah, they got rid of it. Now, yeah, historic crew stadium, like, yo, guys, like you're about to don't do that. Like, you know what you're doing with that. <laughs> also, Columbus, going back to real team or fake team, Columbus Crew is the most sound made up sounding name of any of these teams. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. if I was to if I was to read through all of these teams, that's the the one team I'm like, yeah, that that team's fake. Yeah. So, I mean, for these MLS teams, it's I'm interested to see how they all come out in these first games because this is the start of their season. Like. A lot of these other teams have been playing games and it's mid-season for them and they should be somewhat in form. Like these are the first important games that five of these teams are going to play. And especially Toronto, who's not at home. Like they're they're kind of barnstorming staying in Orlando. We'll see if they can eke out results in these first games having not had a lot of uh, game practice. But anything else we want to add on? All right, so that about wraps us up for this episode. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, thank everyone for following us on Twitter. Again, you can do that at PodkaCaf. Uh, also on Instagram and Facebook at PodkaCaf there as well. Um, we'll be posting 
throughout all these competitions and we appreciate the feedback and the engagement uh with everything donald do you want to tell about your other projects where they can find you yes yeah you can find me on twitter and instagram at blazing dw b-l-a-z-i-n-d-w also the host of the stars and stripes fc podcast which deals with uh the u.s national teams and american soccer so you can also find me over there uh download that into your hearts after you do this podcast yeah and then you can find me on uh twitter at jslatessp um and also at broadwaysportsmedia.com uh covering national sc so uh, MLS season is, you know, right around the corner. Uh, and, you know, so really kicking it up over there. Just when you think all the big things in soccer have already happened, there's even more coming. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back with another episode in a couple weeks. And uh, thanks for listening. Be safe. Mm-hmm.